What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you and all of us to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, prayer, interior life, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis, the list goes on. I will then spend time with your questions, pray with them, study, and then hopefully get back to you in a way that is helpful for you to become a saint. However, disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect. And so I might give you advice that is not actually good for you. And if that's the case, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that it does not help you to become a saint. That doesn't help you to grow in virtue. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I want to invite you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer and scriptures and the sacraments and community so that our Lord can give you the grace that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. Your first time listener, you can critique and comment and give me feedback and follow up from this show or previous shows at Ask Father Josh at AssistantPress.com. You can also hit me up with your own new questions at that same email, AskFRJosh at AssistantPress.com. You can rate us and review us on iTunes and share us on your social media pages. This helps other people find out about the show if it is in fact a gift for you and your relationship with God potentially potentially could be a gift for other people as well. And, and finally, um, if you would like to, you can pre-order my new book, Pocket Guide to Adoration. It is available now on Amazon.com and AssistantPress.com for pre-order. You can pre-order that book now today. You can also text Ask Father Josh, that's Ask FR Josh to 33777 for a chance to win a free copy of my new book, Pocket Guide to Adoration. We will announce the winners on the episode that drops on February the 4th. So today's show is going to be all about the priesthood, all about the priest, about the priest. Uh, and I don't know. No, I was trying. I was trying to think of something. That, nope, not today. Nah, my bad. Anyways, all about the priesthood. So we're going to talk about why is there a male only priesthood? Why aren't women ordained to the priesthood in the Catholic Church? Uh, why are priests celibate and why are some priests married? And is the new Amazon Synod going to make a way for a lot more guys to get married? And finally, how do I see Christ uh, in a priest who's really broken and imperfect and messy? How do I see Jesus in him? So those are our topics. But before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So, uh, glory story, uh, this week, uh, this past week, I was just super fortunate to be able to accompany a number of my parishioners who were preparing to pass on into eternity. And so I was able to administer the last rites to a number of parishioners, uh, three of whom were passing away from cancer, and um, each one of them received all the sacraments. They received all the sacraments, and they received specifically the bread of life. Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And we know what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says, if you eat my flesh and if you drink my blood, you will have eternal life. So I've just been praising God for the gift of the priesthood and for the gift of the body of Christ who allows priests to participate and to join them in those most sacred moments as their loved ones are preparing to enter into eternity. Uh, it was such a beautiful week. And so three of the women passed away after receiving 
the bread of life. And so I praise God for that. Uh, and then on, on Sunday, I, I heard the just the shocking news about the helicopter crash that involved uh, Kobe Bryant and, and his daughter, Gianna, uh, and seven other people. And my heart was heavy. You know, my heart was really heavy. I, I guess I feel like I grew up knowing Kobe Bryant uh, because I grew up watching him play basketball. I was always a fan. And uh, and so, I mean, yeah, because he was in the game for so so long. Most of my, my childhood was spent watching him in young adult life. So um, it was like, man, ooh, heavy heart. So I, I went to my chapel uh, almost immediately and I, and I prayed for him. I prayed the Psalms for him and for his family and for the people who also were involved in that helicopter crash. And then um, I heard a story that has given me hope, and it was that um, a priest has shared. Uh, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I've read it, and um, I want to believe it's true, uh, that you know Kobe was a practicing Catholic. He was a faithful Catholic. He raised his family in the Catholic Church, uh, and uh, praise God for that, but that he was at Mass Sunday morning before the, the crash, and so that he received the bread of life. He received Jesus. And so how beautiful, how beautiful. How beautiful is that? Yeah. Uh, so we certainly pray for the repose of his soul and for the soul of his daughter and and, uh, and for the other seven individuals who passed away and for their families. But yeah, just the, the Eucharist is so beautiful. It just it, It's like, man, keep death before our eyes always. I don't ever want to go without the Eucharist. I don't ever want to be in a in a place or in a space where I'm not in right relationship with Jesus Christ, where I'm not in a state of grace, because I always want to be able to receive the bread of life so I can have eternal life in in the love of my life in Jesus. So we praise we praise God for the sacraments, and we thank God for the gift of the priesthood, because without the priesthood, there is no Eucharist, right? There is no Eucharist without the priesthood. So praise God for that, for that gift. Um, yeah, yeah. And speaking of the Eucharist, also a glory story. This past week, I mean, this is TMI, but I've been having like terrible sleep. I've been waking up every hour in the hour and I have like no drama in my life. There's no beef. There's no stress. I'm eating well. I'm working out. I'm drinking my water. Right. And, uh, but for whatever reason, in like the past weekend, I guess a half really, I have not been sleeping well, like every hour on the hour, but waking up. And so, um, I decided to start praying every time I wake up, I was like, you know what, Lord, like if I'm gonna get up, I'm just going to pray. And so it's like 1030, pray 1130, pray 1230, pray. And uh, yeah, and so the other day I got up in every hour in the hour, and by three o'clock I was like, Jesus, not today. I'm just gonna get up all the way. And so I like went to my chapel, exposed the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, and it was super cool because uh, the Lord um, filled me up not only with like intimacy with Him, but He also, as I was just there to be with Him in prayer, He gave me. I perceive. Let me be. Let me be mature in the way I speak. I perceive that the Lord infused into me and my heart, my mind, uh, an upcoming retreat that I'll be giving uh, to one of our parishes in my diocese. And I was like, oh, Jesus, you're so good. You know, and just if we pray, the Lord does the rest. And so that was kind of cool as well. And it also involved the Eucharist, which the Eucharist was there because of the gift of the priesthood. So yeah, so my glory stories are all about the priesthood. So thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your priesthood. No matter how imperfect and broken your priest may be, uh, you still use all of us to to bring to be instruments of, gosh, your grace, your grace for humanity. So, praise God, that's the glory story. All right, let's get into today's show. All right, first question comes in from Shanna. Shanna writes about male-only priesthood. She says, hi, Father, I know you mentioned before 
wanted to do a themed show, so I recently heard you speak on church tradition and the difference between big T and little t tradition, which I'm sure you would elaborate on, maybe even sing about. Uh, let me see. Uh, how, how could I sing about that? Let me think about this. Uh, mm, not today. Not today, Shane. Uh, I wanted to suggest that as a possible theme for the show, I had a specific question pertaining this to this topic and was hoping that you would speak on this. Are male-only priests a little t tradition or a big T I've recently been challenged on the church's position on men as priests and found myself stuck when trying to engage in dialogue on the matter. I'm somewhat familiar with the theology on this, but any clarification and insight would be fantastic. Thank you for all you do as a servant and radical disciple of our Lord. Be a continued yes. All I got to do is say yes. There they get that's a song right there and answering the call. And example of servant leadership, you are constantly in our prayers. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Shanna. Yeah, so this is a, a big T. Uh, so St. John Paul II, whenever he was Holy Father, when he was the Pope back in 1994, which 1994, like y'all, I'm not going to lie. So I'm an 80s baby, 90s, it was the best decade for music. 1994 was probably the year that back, back, forth and forth. Hey, hey, I'm talking about the back, back, forth and forth. Hey, man, that was this that was the 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 generation, the decade of great music. I mean, gosh, there were so many good songs. Boom, 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 boom. Tell me what you're gonna do, but I ain't nowhere to run. Judgment comes for you, and judgment comes for you. What you gonna do? It ain't nowhere to run. Judgment comes for you. Y'all know, y'all know, y'all know the lyrics. Don't know why. The only part in that song anybody knows is I miss my Uncle Charles, y'all. Gotta be grown, gotta be grown. <laughs> but y'all, the 90s were so, so, oh man, that was like the best generation of music. Um, that's whenever Boys to Men came out with, um, it's so hard. Wait, wait. How do I say goodbye to what we had? Woo, 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 woo. Okay, anyways, um. So 1994, St. John Paul, the, the Great, who actually had a comic book written about him, cool fact about him. And if you go to Poland in his house in the museum uh, where he grew up at, they have that comic book available. Uh, so to all my nerds out there, my, all my, my comic book fans, go to Poland and check out the comic book that Marvel did on St. John Paul II. They also did one on St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta back in the day as well. But anyways, he actually formally declared uh, that the church does not have the power to ordain women, right? The church cannot do this. Uh, this is what he said. Although the teaching that priestly ordination is to be reserved to men alone has been preserved by the constant and universal tradition of the church and firmly taught by the magisterium in its more recent documents, at the present time in some places it is nonetheless considered still open to debate. Or the church's judgment that women are not to be admitted to ordination is considered to have a merely disciplinary force. Wherefore, in order that all doubt may be removed regarding a matter of great importance, a matter which pertains to the church's divine constitution itself in virtue of my ministry of confirming the brethren. And he cited the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 32. He says, I declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church is faithful. Uh, that's in Ornatio Sacerdotalis, number, uh, paragraph four. So, and notice what his language says. He says, the, 
he says that we don't, right? We don't have the power to ordain women. The church can only do what her bridegroom Jesus has given her the the ability to do, right? The church is the bride of Christ. The church is a she, not an it. The church is a she. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, the the bride of the uh, the bridegroom of 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 the church, and so. Jesus gives to the church, and the church simply receives and then shares what Jesus gives. And the church can't go off and make her own stuff up. And so when it comes to the sacraments, what Jesus gave to the church is a matter and a form for the sacraments. And so the matter that was given for the priesthood was men. It's not to say that women aren't holy. It's not to say that women aren't saints. I mean, the greatest saint in the Catholic Church, the greatest saint, the saint of all saints is a woman. Her name is the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. She is the greatest saint in salvation history. And even in in modern times, it's mainly women who have like a lot of power in the church and have a lot of influence in the church and are the most radical disciples. Look at Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta. When Mother Teresa walked in a room, everyone stopped and everyone listened whenever she spoke. Mother Teresa was a holy, powerful, radical disciple of Jesus Christ. In recent years, Mother Angelica, um, she was a radical disciple of Jesus Christ and she moved mountains for the church. Dorothy Day, there, I mean, there's so many, the doctors of the church, Teresa of Avila, Therese, Catherine of Siena. I mean, there's just so many women in the church's history who have been just phenomenal prayer warriors and leaders in the body of Christ. However, when it comes to a sacrament, it's not just about how awesome they are or how holy they are or how prayerful they are, the fact that they chose celibacy or the fact that they could preach well and teach and had gifts of evangelization and catechesis and the list goes on, right? It's more, the priesthood is more than just um, a a functionary uh, duty for certain members of the body of Christ. Uh, The priesthood is a sacrament and every sacrament has matter and every sacrament has form. The matter is the stuff. The what is in the form is right, like the words that we that we say when we pray um, for the sacrament to be an authentic sacrament. So, like for for instance, um, when it comes to communion, right, the matter is the bread and the wine and the the, the drop of the water, right. That, that's the the matter. The the form is the words of consecration. If a priest were to have bread and wine and, and drop the water, but not recite the proper words. Of consecration, if he were to make up his own words and not follow the form for that sacrament, that bread and that wine would never become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. If if someone were to say, "Hey, look, you know, I don't like bread. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't like wine. I, bread makes me feel like I'm getting bloated, and wine. I just don't like the taste of it. Can we instead? Can we use cookies and milk? Uh, because I really like cookies and milk, and I think it would be really popular for the kids. I think the kids would want to come back to church if we had cookies and milk instead of bread and wine, and, and they could fully participate in the, in the whatever. No, you could say the right form all day long. If the matter is not bread and wine, that's what God gave us, then it won't be the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It will not become Holy Communion. So every sacrament that the church has received is what she got from Christ, from Jesus, and so she shares that with her sons and daughters. Uh, same thing applies for baptism. For baptism, uh, we can't baptize an animal, right? The, 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 the matter for the baptism is the water, um, but it's also the human being, the person, the baby, the adult, the kid, whoever it is that's getting baptized, and the form is the words, right? I baptize you in the name of right, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not I baptize you in the name of the lover and the healer and the redeemer and the sanctifier. No, it's the, God gave us 
the words to say, to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Lord gave us the form and the matter. So we can't choose to baptize people with something other than water. We can't baptize an animal. We can't use a different form. Again, every sacrament has matter and form. Same rule applies for the priesthood. The matter that was given to the church 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ, who was radical. I mean, Jesus Christ wasn't somebody who followed the customs of his time. He broke many customs. So if he wanted women to be priests, he would have chose women to be priests. But he did not want women to be priests. He only wanted men to be priests because he only picked men to be priests, right? Mary was far holier than Peter. Mary Magdalene showed up to the foot of the cross. And guess who wasn't at the foot of the cross? The first pope. Peter wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. Matthew wasn't there. So these women were radical disciples. Many of these women were far holier than, than the first priest. However, for whatever reason, in God's will, and he chose for men, male, to be the, uh, the, the matter, the matter for that sacrament of priesthood. Uh, and so... So we can't change something just because we want to change something. It's, it has to be given to us by, by Jesus Christ. Um, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in 1995, so this is the year after St. John Paul II clarified this, they came out and they said this. They said that uh, this teaching requires definitive assent. Since founded on the written word of God, it comes from scripture and from the beginning, constantly preserved and applied in the tradition of the church. It has been set forth infallibly by the ordinary and universal magisterium. That is in the Second Vatican Council documents, the dogmatic constitution on the church, Lumen Gentium 25.2. So this is, yeah, this is big church teaching. Uh, this is the, the real deal. Um, and, and, it's, and it's not only like from like recent popes that have like affirmed this teaching, but even like in the early church, in the 200s, this was affirmed, in the 300s, this was affirmed, in the 400s, this was affirmed. And in the year 215, um, Hippolytus said uh, this in the apostolic tradition. He said, when a widow is to be appointed, she is not to be ordained, right? But is designated by being named a widow, right? A widow is appointed by words alone and is then associated with the other widows. Hands are not imposed on her because she does not offer the oblation and she does not conduct the liturgy. Ordination is for the clergy because of the liturgy. And then a, a hundred years after that, in 325, uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, this is what Canon 19 states. Similarly, in regard to the deaconesses, as with all who are enrolled in the register, the same procedure is to be observed. We have made mention of the deaconesses who have been enrolled in this position, although not having been in any way ordained. They're certainly to be numbered among the laity. And then a uh, hundred years after that, in the Apostolic Constitutions, we read, A virgin is not ordained, for we have no such command from the Lord. Notice what this says. We have no command from the Lord. We only give what we've received. And so our goal as disciples of Jesus Christ is to be docile. Even if we don't fully understand why he's chosen this, like the Lord still calls us to be obedient to his word, to his will, to his way, to his time. Because his will, way, and time is what's best for us in our walk toward eternity to become to become saints. So again, um, if it were just mere practically doing things, I know women who are, are have far greater insights into the Word of God than than men. I know women who pray more and fast more than than men. I know women who have the charism of teaching and are able to communicate 
uh, some of the the insights in the Word of God that, that it takes. I mean, like Dr. Mary Healy is phenomenal, right, when it comes to her in, insights in the Scripture into the Word of God. I mean, there's just so many women who are disciples of Jesus, so many women who are great speakers like Sister Miriam James uh, and Chica and Jackie, Francois, um, uh, Angel and, and Leodero. There's, I mean, there's so many, a very Mirasanto. There's so many women who are able and capable of sharing the good news very well, but the priesthood is more than that, right? The priesthood is a sacrament. Uh, because there's going to come a day when potentially I'm not going to be able to preach anymore. What if we go through persecution and I'm arrested and I'm thrown into prison and I'm not able to celebrate the mass and I'm stuck in a prison? I'm still going to be a priest. Not because of what I can do. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my function. It's because of who I am. It's a sacrament. It's a sacrament that I've received. Um, and so every sacrament, again, has matter and form. And so it's not in any way, shape or form, the church saying, oh, we think that men are better than women. You know, like, no, it's it's the church saying that we're the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom and, and we're obedient. We're submissive to our bridegroom, Jesus. We place ourselves under his mission uh, and we don't want to do things our own way um, and in our own time. So hopefully that was a sufficient answer. Let's go ahead and jump to our next question, which again about priesthood is about married priests. So we have, we have male only priesthood. What about married priests and the possibility of that in the future? So this question comes in from Brian Brian writes this, Father Josh, yesterday my family and I had an interesting debate over Sunday dinner and our faith in the Catholic religion. To give context, my father is Seventh-day Adventist and my mother is Catholic, which provided an interesting decision for our parents to decide which religion my sister and I would grow up with. Ultimately, my parents decided to raise us in the Catholic Church. My sister and I went to Catholic school all of our lives and have been committed to the principles of our faith through our adult lives. In recent years, our faith has been challenged with exposure to other religions, through friends, and even from our father's side of the family. We would be asked questions about traditions within the Catholic faith, and we would not have the proper response other than, this is just the way we've done it for years. Of course, this is mainly our fault for not asking these questions about various traditions, but in many instances, we feel that some of the traditions within the Catholic religion are lost in translation by being passed from generation to generation without explanation. This has a compounding effect, and generations lack the true knowledge or intent of many Catholic traditions. Our discussion became further involved when my father brought up an article entitled Catholic Bishops Approved a Proposal Allowing Some Married Men to Be Ordained Priests in the Amazon. Uh, and my, and just by the way, I don't, I, I have not studied the documents on the Amazon, so I don't know if there's any uh, actual approval. Um, but anyways, uh, there certainly has been a proposal for sure. Uh, in my opinion, it is well known for the intent and reason that a priest should not be married, but this has always been a deterring factor for young men to seek the priesthood. There are only a select few that have the gift and dedication such as you to connect with his church, family, in an effective way and willing to dedicate the rest of his life to the Lord. I've only had the privilege to experience a priest through one, possibly two of my church communities in my life. I think that one of the reasons is this tradition. Curious to hear your thoughts on this matter and if this is approved what would be the potential impact for the greater Catholic community? Keep up the good work. Love listening to your podcast. I'm a Houston native, Lafayette raised, Lafayette uh, raised and work overseas. Hearing your cultural references and coffee in the morning brings a smile to my face when hearing the show, Brian. Yeah, well, thanks, Brian. That is a great, great question. So, uh, yeah, so when it comes to priestly celibacy and priestly marriage. So first things first is priestly celibacy. It's not a dogma. It's not a doctrine. Uh, and so it is something that is practiced uh, by priests in the church. Uh, it is, it's a tradition in our church that has been practiced for 2,000 years. Uh, St. Paul was celibate. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was celibate. 
but not all priests throughout the 2,000-year history of the church have been celibate. Some of them have also been married, uh, like like Peter, as we know from the sacred uh, scriptures and from Paul's writing about uh, bishops being married only only once. Uh, he didn't say you had to be married, but he just he mentioned if you are a bishop, you can only be married be married once in sacred scripture. Though Paul said, "I choose celibacy." He says, "I choose to remain single." Um, and Jesus Christ speaks about this celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. So celibacy certainly has its practical benefits, uh, being totally available to our people uh, whenever they need us. It has eschatological um, uh, benefits as well as far as being a witness to point people to heaven. We're celibate for the kingdom of heaven. We remind people that there is something more to this life than the good of marriage and sex, that there is a better wedding that we've all been created for, which is the wedding with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of heaven. Um, but but as far as celibacy and marriage and this potential document from the Amazon that I'm really not familiar with because I don't read the news a lot, uh, uh, let's just jump into it. So uh, first things first, or second things second, first things first was the, that celibacy not a dogma. Second things second, um, that there are Catholic priests today in the Catholic Church today in the year 2020 who are married. I, yeah, so not every priest is a celibate priest. Most are, especially if you're in the Latin, right? Um, however, there are also other rites in the Catholic Church. Uh, in fact, for the Eastern Rite Catholics, married priests are the norm. Just like for the Latin Rite, celibate priests are the norm, and the Eastern Rite, married priests are the norm. Now, are there married priests in the Latin Rite? Yes, there are. Like, for instance, whenever uh, a priest who is Episcopalian or Lutheran comes over to the Catholic Church, um, potentially he may be invited by the bishop to uh, become a Catholic priest. Uh, and he's married and has kids. One of my associate pastors growing up, Father Frank Bass, uh, at St. George Catholic Church in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, he was a married priest. Uh, he was one of the best priests I've ever walked with, I've ever um, uh, been discipled by. And so, uh, yes, yeah, so the Catholic Church has that. We also have the Anglican Ordinariate given to us under Pope Benedict. And so there are a, a small number of, of priests in the Latin Rite who are married, uh, but it's the norm, though, in the in the Eastern Rite, for Eastern Rite Catholics, um, just as they are for Orthodox and Oriental Christians as well. But even in the Eastern Rite churches, there has always been restrictions with regards to, to, to marriage and ordination. So married men, yes, they can become priests, but unmarried priests cannot marry. So married priests... Um, uh, once they are widowed, if they become widowed, they cannot remarry, just like the church teaches for deacons. Uh, if a deacon uh, gets ordained, he could be a married man who becomes a deacon, but if his wife ever passes away, he must remain celibate. He must live the life of celibacy, just like most priests do in the, in the Latin rite uh, of the Catholic Church. Um, and so there's also a discipline um, in the Eastern rites of choosing bishops uh, only from the ranks of those who are celibate, celibate monks, celibate priests. Um, so all other bishops, I believe, are all unmarried uh, bishops. Uh, and so uh, the the gift of celibacy uh, is, I mean, I was talking to a Protestant minister the other day, and he was saying, Father Josh, he said, I could tell that you have so much time for Jesus in prayer, and I'm so jealous of you in a good way. He said, because, like, man, like, I can tell that you get to spend a lot of time with just you and Jesus. And it, it's true, I, I do get to spend a lot of time a lot more time with Jesus than most people who are pastors in Protestant Christian communities. Um, and this is why St. Paul endorses celibacy. He says 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, yes, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. All right, so St. Paul chose celibacy, uh, and it has its practical benefits. And again, it also has the eschatological witness that Jesus Christ speaks about. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 11 through 12, Jesus Christ says this, speaking about celibacy for the kingdom. He says, Not all can accept this word, but only those to whom it is granted. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so, some because they were made so by others, and some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. They have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. Whoever can accept this ought to accept it. Uh, and so there is an eschatological sign of the church a living out in the present of the universal celibacy of heaven. For in the resurrection, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So in heaven, nobody's married. Everyone is married only to God, to Jesus. And so hopefully the pre-celibacy and the religious celibacy points people to our ultimate goal, which is to enter into the wedding feast with the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And so... Then what happens if the Amazon thing comes out and says that they're going to let uh, priests be married? Well, the, the church has made exceptions in the Latin rite for Episcopalians and for Lutherans. So the church can always make exceptions uh, in the Amazon as well. But again, it would not be priests who are already ordained being allowed to then go get married. It would only be married men becoming priests or deacons getting ordained to the priesthood. Um, because that's just, that's just not in, in the church's history for a, a priest to then go get married. So uh, could that happen? It, it could happen. What would that mean for the church? I mean, no, nothing bad. If, if, if God allows it, then God, I mean, God is God is God. So then more saints will be formed that way. If that's the way that God wants saints to be formed, if not, then it won't happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, oh, my gosh, like fear about the unknown or fear about change or whatever. It's like, you know what? Like, whatever, Jesus is Jesus, and God desires for all of us to be saved. Uh, obviously, not all of us respond to his desire. And so however we can help people be saved, however we can help people get the sacraments, then the church is going to respond to those needs in those times, in those seasons, uh, and, and allow for certain things that maybe in other generations she hasn't allowed. Um, so it's all about salvation. So whatever's going to help people receive the sacraments, whatever's going to help people fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus and abide in the love of Jesus, God will permit. And if it won't uh, be good for the church, then I'm pretty sure that it's not going to happen. Um, and again, and if something did happen in the church that wasn't the best thing to happen, God is still God. And there's nothing impossible for God. And God brings great things out of mess all the time. So I, for one, am not worried about uh, any potential drama from that document. I'm whatever, look, whatever happens, as long as people fall in love with the Lord and become saints is good with me. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Fratt has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the Rosary, how to pray the Rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life, 
and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note, send it to me as well. Don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. Share us on your social media pages. And don't forget to pre-order my new book, uh, Pocket Guide to Adoration, on amazon.com and ascensionpress.com as well. Final question comes in from Bridget. Bridget says, how do you see Christ in your priest when his actions and words don't seem to match up with Jesus? I'm continuously praying the litany of humility. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. And maybe God is trying to make me live that through the actions of the priest, but how do I get past his humanity and see Christ in him? Yes. Yeah, so, oh man, Bridget, great, great question. I'll say the same way that we see Christ in the baptized faithful. You know, once someone is baptized, they become the body of Christ. Right? They're no longer just a, a man or a woman or a child who is made in the image of God, but they become the actual body of Jesus Christ. So one of uh, a priest I, I went to spiritual direction with years ago on a silent retreat, my senior John Esif, he used to always say, who are you? And the point of that question was he wanted us to realize that we are the body of Jesus. He would say, you are the body of Jesus. When the Father looks at you, the Father sees Jesus. The Father sees Jesus. Remember, when Saul was persecuting the Christians, Jesus appeared to Saul. He didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the church or the Christians or my believers or my disciples? He said, why are you persecuting me? God directly identifies himself with his body, the body of Christ. Uh, And so just as you have received an indelible mark in your baptism and your confirmation, a priest has received an indelible mark also apart from his baptism and confirmation, uh, and along with his baptism and confirmation, he's received the indelible mark of uh, holy orders. And, and so, uh, yes, he's the body of Christ. He's the body of Jesus Christ in persona Christi Capitis. And so uh, I would just suggest practically what can help you is, is by praying. <laughs> Prayer is the answer, right? By, by praying daily, God, help me to see myself the way that you see me. Like, help me to see myself as the body of Jesus Christ. Help me to know myself as you know me, the body of Jesus Christ. Right? Help me to love myself Father, as you love me, as the body of Jesus Christ, and then when we receive his love, we're in a better disposition to share his love. We then imagine that priest. God, help me to see this very imperfect, broken, messy priest the way you see him, as a member of the body of Jesus Christ, ordained to the sacred office of the priesthood in persona Christi, capitis. God, help me to know him as you know him. God, help me to love him as you love him the way you love your priest. Mary, help me to love your priest the way you love your priest as well. Joseph, help me to love your priest as you love your priest. So uh, I would just say it's all about prayer. Uh, but speaking of prayer, let's just go ahead and pray right now. So, and yeah, and by the way, the litany of humility is great. That's a great one. We're going to do a litany for priests, though, a litany of prayers for priests uh, by Richard Cardinal Cushing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty, eternal God, our Father, Look upon the face of your son, and for love of him who is the eternal high priest, have pity on your priest. Remember, O most compassionate God, that they are but weak and frail human beings. Stir up in them the grace of their vocation which is in them, so that they may never do anything in the slightest degree unworthy of their sublime vocation. O Jesus, our eternal high priest, I pray for your faithful and fervent priest, for your unfaithful and tepid priest, 
for your priest laboring at home or abroad in distant mission fields, for your tempted priest, for your young priest, for your dying priest, for the souls of your priest in purgatory. But above all, I commend to you the priest dearest to me, the priest who baptized me, the priest who absolved me from my sins, the priest at whose masses I assist, the priest who taught and instructed me about you and your holy scriptures, the priest who helped me and encouraged me to accept you as my Lord and my Savior, and the priest whom you sent to touch my life and those of my loved ones. Let us pray for the Holy Father. Fill him with your grace, Lord. Cardinals, archbishops, and bishops, give them your gifts, Lord. Diocesan and priests, never leave them. Priests in seminary work, give them your wisdom. Priests in hospital work, give them constancy. Priests who are ill, heal them. Priests in danger, deliver them. Priests who are weak, strengthen them. Priests who are poor, relieve them. Priests who are zealous, help them. Priests who want to love you, enkindle their hearts. Priests who are sad, console them. Priests who are worried, give them peace. Priests who are old, sustain them. Priests who are young, impel them for your glory. Priests who are alone, accompany them. Missionary priests, protect them. Priests who are preachers, enlighten them. Priests who direct souls, instruct them. Parish priests, make them perfect. Priests and religious who have died, bring them to glory. All the church, militant and suffering, Lord, have mercy. For all priests, give them your wisdom, give them virtues, give them patience, give them charity, give them obedience and kindness, give them a burning zeal for souls, give them an intense love for the Eucharist, give them loyalty to the Pope and their bishops, give them respect for their dignity, give them a great love for Mary, give them uh, uh, justice, give them counsel, give them strength in their labors, give them peace and sufferings, give them humility and generosity. Let them be the light of souls. Let them be the salt of the earth. Let them practice sacrifice and self-denial. Let them enkindle hearts with love of Mary. Let them be other Christ. Let them be holy in body and soul. May they be men of prayer. May faith shine forth in them. May they be faithful to their priestly vocation. May their hands know only how to bless. May they burn with love for you and for Mary. May all their steps be for the glory of God. And may the Holy Spirit possess them and give them his gifts and fruits in abundance. Let us pray. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the soul and the life of the church. Hear the prayers we offer for priests. We ask this through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the protector and their guide. Amen. All right, y'all, that was today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts, feelings, and desires. Hit me up with more questions, comments, and critiques at AskFatherJosh at AssistantPress.com. And until next week, I will see you all in the Eucharist. God bless. (laughs) 